Welcome to The Daily Drive, a podcast from Ford Driving Skills for Life that delves into teen driving safety tips and instruction. This podcast will also highlight community awareness campaign ideas and personal stories of tragedy that have led to advocacy. We'll have conversations with the people who work to keep teens safe on the road every day. People like traffic safety experts, parents, teens, and professional driving instructors. And with that, I'll turn it over to professional race car driver and the lead for Driving Skills for Life driving instructor, Mike Speck. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Drive presented by Ford Driving Skills for Life. My name's Mike Speck. I am your host. Our guests today are both from the Governor's Highway Safety Association, and you have seen them here before. First up is Pam Shadle Fisher. She is Senior Director of External Engagements with the GHSA. And our other guest is Tim Burroughs, who is National Manager of the Law Enforcement uh, Liaison Program with the GHSA. Again, that's the Governor's Highway Safety Association. Our topic today is going to be drowsy driving, folks. So don't fall asleep on us. Stay tuned. That's up next on The Daily Drive. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Great. Excellent. (laughs) Happy to be here. Yeah, aren't we all? I think everybody's pretty much happy to be here. So, Look, people have been indoors since March. Uh, It's really up in the air as to whether or not that's going to continue in different parts of the country. I suspect some folks are going to be getting out and uh, probably going back to school, which means in many cases driving again. Uh, So there are a few things that we've been looking at with that return to driving. And one of them is uh, drowsy driving. Let me ask you something, Pam. Is this uh, a year-round thing for teens. Is drowsy, drowsy driving an issue that way? It really is a year-round problem for teens. And, you know, some people might think that, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, what's the big deal? But it is a huge problem for teens. And with schools, we're hearing so much discussion about schools reopening. Some kids are going to be going back as early as August. We really need to think about sleep and driving. The two are, you know, you can't separate the two. They're really important. And what we're finding is that teens have been home since March in most cases. They've been having very altered schedules. They're doing you know, virtual learning and so forth, and that, that's, of course, ended. But they, they haven't had the same sleep patterns that they're going to have to have when they eventually do go back to school. And for most teens, that means getting up a lot earlier and needing to get to bed earlier. But we have a challenge because uh, teens are challenged by biology. And I'll try not to get too deep into the science here, but... We create something called melatonin, which I think we've all heard of, lots of commercials about taking melatonin to help you sleep. But we create melatonin, and teens, the way they produce melatonin, it affects their sleep patterns, so they actually want to stay up later. They're not sleepy. So you need them to get to bed early, but they don't necessarily go to bed early enough, so they're not getting sufficient sleep, and then they're having to get up early and maybe you know driving to school, walking to school, whatever. So um, they need at least seven to nine hours of sleep. And we know that oftentimes they're not getting it. And that's a huge problem for teens. 
it affects driving, it affects learning, it affects the performance on the athletic field and the music hall. I mean, we just have to really understand how important sleep is. And we've done a lot of surveys about this over the years. And what teams are telling us is that they're admitting, you know, many teams are getting you know, as little as six to five, six hours a night. Girls are even, you know, worse off in this case than boys. We often talk about boys are often the culprit when we're talking about risky behavior on the road. But oftentimes, girls don't get as much sleep as boys should. So I really need parents to think about this. And as they're starting to talk about their teens going back to school, trying to establish some normal sleep patterns here, because it really is important. And getting behind the wheel when you're tired, when you're drowsy, it's just so dangerous. Uh, that's a terrific point, Pam. And I can tell you with my two boys, uh, 15 and 11, we've kind of established that, yeah, look, you're not going to school right now, but you're still getting up at this time. You're going to bed at this time just to kind of keep that rhythm going. Tim, let me ask you a question on this. There is a whole issue about screen time and how that affects uh, sleep patterns. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um Essentially, what happens is you're going to see two different things physiologically that happens when it comes to screen time. Uh, the first uh, is the blue light that is radiated automatically off of computer screens, tablets, uh, phones, and uh, televisions. That blue light emittance can be filtered on some uh, advanced devices, but not 100%. And it's still a strain on the eyes. Well, that blue light actually creates a stimulant in the brain. So Pam was talking about melatonin production. Well, kids have enough problem making melatonin. They have even more problem when you actually suppress it and makes it harder. So that activates the brain's mechanism that says, hey, we're awake, let's keep on going. Well, then there's also the stimulus effect of whatever it is that the kids or the teens are actually watching. Is it making them more energetic? Is it making them lively, jumpy? What is actually being brought in can have a big impact on allowing that brain to relax and actually get into a sleep pattern or a sleep set. When you take these things and happen and, and use these devices, as a lot of kids are, let's be honest, in bed, uh, the screen close up to their face, the rest of the room is completely dark because they, they, you know, they're supposed to be going to bed. Well, that stimulation and actually the extended time period doesn't allow that sleep pattern to happen. So when Pam talked about seven to nine hours is optimum, well, you can now back, back that off to now, maybe the kids are getting five to seven hours that are not optimum, which makes the problem even worse. So that's what we talk about when, when you get that. The last part of that is the tired eyes. Uh, when you're watching something, you're not necessarily blinking as often as you should be. You could be in a dry environment, especially this time of year with a lot of air conditioning, it takes the moisture out of the air, you get tired, dry eyes. Well, as we all know, what do you need to be able to, to drive a car safely and effectively? You have to have good vision, and you have to have cognitive function. Well, that tired eyes that happens with the screens and the stimulation creating a lack of sleep really kind of limits the ability to do both of those things effectively. So, uh, you know, I've gone through that myself, actually. Uh, so when people get tired, uh, we know that their decision-making processes aren't always the best. We know the reaction times aren't always the best. Are there any other risk factors that way, Pam. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I can. I mean, we know when you're tired, you're just not sharp. You're not thinking the way you should. And as you said, you're, you know, you're going to take some risk. So there's been a lot of research that's done that said that, you know, a drowsy driver, a tired teen is more likely to drink and drive, more likely to text, 
um, and to ride with somebody who has been uh, consuming alcohol and also less likely to buckle up. They're not going to think about it. And so, you know, we talk about we talk about uh, impairment and we look at drowsy driving as a form of impairment. We talk about the four D's of impairment. So there's drunk, drugged, distracted, and drowsy. Not everybody's going to do the first three. You know, not everybody's going to get behind the wheel impaired or, or, you know, from alcohol or drugs or, or even use their phones and, and other things and be distracted. But all of us are likely at some point to drive drowsy. And so when you take the drowsy driving and you potentially could factor in those other things, the risk goes up even more. And we already know how high the risk is for teen drivers. You know, we're the most dangerous group on the road in terms of because of the experience and the brain development. So, you know, drowsy driving just, just makes it that much worse. And, and the problem is significant. I mean, we know that more than half of drowsy driving crashes involve teen drivers and young adults. Um, this is the population that has the highest risk out there for this problem. So, um, so we need to think about it, not only from the standpoint of drowsy driving is dangerous, but what does that do to you to make it even worse from a risk perspective? And, and we know it's pretty significant. Uh, does this change? Do you see any changes in this when, uh, when people go to college? I mean, obviously they're a little bit older then and, and they're, maybe their thought processes are changing, but do you see a difference? In the Not data? really, no, no. And I'll tell you something, it's been really interesting. I mean, I watched my son go through the teen years and dealing with what Kim was talking about with cell phones and trying to get quality sleep. And I watched him off when he went off to college and I saw the same thing. And again, tons of research on this, but what we see is that it gets worse. The problem is exacerbated when they go off to college because they're often pulling all-nighters, their schedule's even crazier. They're just not getting the kind of sleep that they need. Now, a lot of teens may not go off to college with a car, but for those who do, or those who maybe commute locally to community colleges, um, again, drowsy driving is a significant problem. So we really need to help our teens and young adults understand how important sleep is from a safety perspective. We can't overstate that. I remember when I was researching, I did a report for GHSA a few years ago on drowsy driving. And I remember, you know, doing some research on college students and one data point really stood out to me. And that was, you know, college students in terms of their lack of sleep. Um, it's like they, you know, every week they're driving back and forth or flying back and forth between New York and Denver in terms of the sleep that they lose and the toll that it takes on their body. And when we all think about, you know, traveling and flying, and, and there is a toll to be had. And also um, when we lose time because of the change in time zones. Well, that's what college students are experiencing pretty much on a regular basis. So we really need to instill in our kids as they go off to college or if they're commuting locally to college, get that sleep. Can't overstate it because we need you to be able to get to and from, you know, where you're going safely. And if you're getting in the car with friends at college and they, again, sure that they have sufficient sleep. It's, it's vitally important. So Tim, Pam touched on it a little bit, but can you speak to how drowsy driving, um, the effect of it relates to things like drunk driving? I, I think people recognize immediately that drunk driving affects you in, in many different ways, but I don't know that people really look at drowsy driving that way. So Tim, can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I think one of the challenges we have with getting the, uh, the public to understand the consequences and the effects of drowsy driving is we've all been there. 
uh, I can't think of anybody that I have never known that has not driven tired or not driven drowsy or has not said, I don't remember 10 minutes of that drive or how I, yeah. we've all been there. Um, and, and getting people to recognize something that we all share in makes it a little harder for that understanding of the ramifications and how bad it is. Once you understand that it's conceivably or it's accepted that approximately eight hours, 18 hours, sorry, 18 hours of a lack of sleep is the equivalent to being at 0.05 on your alcohol intoxication level, which in some states, Utah in particularly, that's that's drunk driving right there. So you get into that 18 hours of sleep mark, you are pretty much the equivalent to an impaired driver. Uh, because of the fact that one of the, the, or the, the issues that happens when you are drowsy, your uh, eyesight and vision is uh, compromised. Your central nervous system isn't compromised the same way as it is by alcohol, but it does get depressed, which means that you're going to have slower perception time and reaction times. Those are the exact same as being drunk. So when you see something happen up ahead of you, it takes you a little bit longer to recognize what it is that's developing. Then your brain has to actually interpret what it just saw to decide what's the best action or what's the best uh, thing to do to get out of where you're going towards. That's your reaction time. That gets slowed down. And then there's the actual action. So all of this stuff that we're talking about, and I say stuff on purpose because there's so many things that are actually at play here, slows us down in our abilities to make good sound decisions behind the wheel. That is if we even see those things happening. The other thing that happens when we're drowsy is you get long blinks uh, or just the eyes close. Uh, we've seen a lot of runoff the road collisions, a lot of overcorrection collisions. Those are people that literally are closing their eyes while they're driving. And maybe the right side tires drop off onto the rumble strips or are off, off the paved asphalt onto the gravel shoulder. You snap awake and the first thing you do is pull yourself back up on the road. And it's usually an overreaction and causes greater mm -hmm. problems. Yeah. Go one more step further. 24 hours without sleep. Now, 18 hours and 24 hours is conceivably fairly easy to do nowadays, especially the 18 hours. Very easy to stay awake for 18. A little harder to stay awake for 18 and then drive. Well, now we're going to go to the 24. That's the equivalent of a 0 0.08. So in the majority of jurisdictions across the country, you are legally defined as impaired at that level. That's what distract or sorry, drowsy driving does to you. It gives you pure impairment. Uh, and there's nothing that you can do to try to, caffeine's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, stimulants are not going to work. In yeah. fact, they're going to probably cause more problems. The only thing that actually works with this is getting sleep. That's how you get around drowsy driving. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that's important is, Tim mentioned it, you know, we literally have seconds where we're driving with our eyes closed. We call those micro sleeps. And, you know, you can't control that. You simply can't control it. And, and in those matter of, you know, few seconds, what do you miss, what potentially could happen? And Tim mentioned it, you know, he said it, that, you know, a lot of runoff the road crashes, a lot of single vehicle runoff the road crashes, and they don't necessarily know the cause, oftentimes is the person fell asleep behind the wheel. And, and Tim, I just want to make sure that people understand, you're not talking necessarily about somebody driving for 24 hours straight. You're just saying, if you've been up, for 24 hours, it doesn't much matter what you've been doing, but if you've been awake and you have cognitive activity going on for 24 hours and then you decide to drive, it, it's as though you were driving drunk. Is that is that what you're saying? That's exactly it. Um, it doesn't, it's not a period of driving for that long. It's a period of being awake without allowing your body and your mind 
to shut down and rest. Um, there is the extremes. People do drive for 18 hours. Um, people do drive for 24 hours. You might get a, a quick stop in there, but that's even actually worse because uh, you're not recognizing anything that's happening to you at that point in time. You really do go into a fog, uh, which creates even greater unsafe issues. When we talk about uh, drowsy driving, you can also get into a mental fatigue issue. You look at driving a race car. Uh, you are so focused and so attuned to what's going on. Uh, two or three hours of, of race car driving, or in my world of policing, uh, two or three hours of driving where you're just on all the time looking for things uh, and being a good, safe driver, it is mentally taxing. That creates fatigue as well. Not the same as drowsy driving, but the same complicit problems happen when you do get into that. We need to rest. We need to shut down. Yeah. And, you know, and let me add something to that, Mike. Students, sure. are, students who are driving back to college, if they're going a long distance, you know, same concept. They need to stop. They need to take breaks. Um, because driving is, you, you know, I mean, you're a professional driver. Driving is very fatiguing. There's no doubt about it. I drive about six and a half hours occasionally to visit my son in Virginia. And I try every two hours to stop and take a break just to get out, to stretch, to kind of clear my head, but also just to, you know, kind of bring it down a notch. Because driving, you're, you're tense. You're focused on what's going on out there. So it's really important for teens to understand that driving is hard work. And it requires all your faculties. And so you have to allow yourself time to rest and take breaks. Really, really important. So let's say that the teens don't necessarily recognize it. I know when I was a teen, I certainly didn't recognize uh, those, those issues. So Pam, what can parents do to make sure their teens are getting enough, uh, enough sleep, that they're, that they're really capable to drive? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple things. It starts with, you know, really first having the conversation about the importance of sleep and getting teens to understand this. You know, I like to talk about the three-legged stool. We need to sleep, we need to eat right, and we need to move. And if one of those things isn't happening um, or we're not getting enough of one thing, our body's out of whack. And, and so it really does mean, you know, not eating right and maybe not moving is not going to hurt you as much from a driving perspective, but they're all good for optimal health. But sleep is particularly important when, when it comes to driving and being sharp and, and being out there. So we need to have those conversations and parents need to monitor their teens' sleep patterns and make sure that they're getting enough. They need to think about things like ma managing screen time, as Tim talked about, saying, hey, look, you know, don't be we don't want you to take the phone to bed. Don't use it as your alarm clock. You know, put it in another room, stow it in a drawer or whatever, but, you know, we need to minimize that. Same thing with computers and TV screens. I think that's important. Keep tabs on their caffeine. Um, this is a generation that's, that's drinking a lot of caffeinated stuff, and after about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it takes a long time for that to get out of your system. It will affect your sleep pattern. I can't overstate that. Think about how many activities your teen is involved in. If you've got a teen that's go, 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 go all the time, are they getting adequate sleep to match you know, all that time that they're supercharged and, and they're really going and going and going? And I would set very, very clear rules. This is, you know, the parent in me really comes out now. Set very clear rules about, you know, making sure that you are okay to drive. Checking in with your team before they head out the door. Hey, look at, the, you know, how do they look? Do they look tired? And what's going on? And say no keys if you really sense that they haven't had sufficient sleep or they've been you know, going full tilt all day and for the last couple of days. You know, you need them to understand that we need them to be sharp 
but we also need them to be attuned to what other people may be doing out there on the road. And they can't do that if they're tired, if they haven't had sufficient sleep. So it's really about a partnership between teens and parents. You know, we know our teens, we have to monitor, we have to be engaged. That's our job. And so sometimes we're gonna to have to say, you know what, I know you didn't get enough sleep last night. I appreciate you wanna go out and do something, but I don't want you to drive. Here, no drive. So we have to think about those kinds of things. It's important. And the other thing I think as parents, we also have to educate our teens about what are the signs of drowsy driving um, and have those conversations as well. So um, and we can talk about those if you want. Um, yeah, in fact, that was the next question that was <laughs> that was coming up. Uh, but but before we get to that, yeah. Tim, is there anything that you'd add for what parents can do to make sure their their teens are getting enough sleep, are doing the right things? Anything that you might want to add to that? I literally could just only echo everything Pam just said. Responsible parenting takes work, and you're going to have to be the bad person at some point in time. Being a designated driver for a tired teen is a pretty good thing. Uh, kids got to get up and go early to school. Get up with them, take them, drop them off. Uh, I was never, when, when I was in school, I had no problem getting up and going first thing in the morning. It was coming home after basketball practice or after yeah. football practice. Not only did you get lack of sleep the night before and you got up early, you just did your full day of school and then a couple hours or three hours of sports. This is where it's going to be really bad. Uh, I had a great dad. He he had no problem ever coming to pick me up from school. Uh, and, and that was good. And I tried to do the exact same thing with my kids. One of the best things you can do is recognize, and I've had an opportunity to do this several times uh, with my kids that are driving, is to say, hey, I'm tired. Can you drive for me? What a great position to be in. You're teaching them a life lesson at that point in time, too, that it's okay sure. to ask for help. Yeah, it's a, yeah it's that's, a, a, really, that's a good one. That's yeah, good. That, that's some great advice. That that last one there is is powerful for sure. Just because it, yeah, it's that life lesson. It shows them right yeah. there, real time, what the right choice is. So, Pam, uh, you were touching on what the signs of drowsy driving are. Let's dive into that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's some it's some of it's going to seem obvious, but you know, it's the frequent yawning. You're unable to keep your eyes open. But things like daydreaming or wandering thoughts, you know, disconnected thoughts, you know, you just can't kind of focus because you're just so darn tired and you don't think about it. You might catch yourself nodding off a little bit or, you know, just feeling really, you know, feeling kind of fatigued. Um, you're not remembering the last few miles. Tim mentioned that, you know, you're all of a sudden you're like, oh, I passed my exit. Or, oh, I didn't realize that's where I am. I mean, you're just not able to focus on that. One other, you know, you're keeping, you're actually following too closely the cars in front of you because, again, you can't judge the, the gap in traffic because you're so tired. You're not really capable to do it. You know, missing road signs, missing turns, things like that. Uh, drifting into other lanes of traffic, again, because you, you know, you're actually nodding off. You're not able to focus. You know, you're hitting the rumble strips and the shoulders and so forth. All those things are signs of distracted driving. So we need to, we need to, learn them and we need to recognize and acknowledge them and not ignore them. I think that's the most important thing. So, you know, you can't push through. When your body says, I need sleep, you need sleep. And the only remedy is to get some sleep. You know, people say, you know, stop and get a cup of coffee or get a Coke or get a Red Bull or whatever, roll down the window, turn the music up real loud. You know, those things or so you know, they're they're temporary fixes and caffeine it takes a little bit for the caffeine to kick in and it'll help a little bit. But honest to goodness, the only remedy is 
feel is safe. And so, you know, our response to folks is, you know, pull off to a place of safety, you know, avoid just pulling on your shoulder or get off to a place of safety, take a nap. And then when you do wake up and they say, you know, it shouldn't be a real, real long nap. You don't want to get too, you know, you don't want to sleep a couple hours, but take a nap between 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then give yourself a, a little bit of time to kind of get reacclimated to where you are before you get back out on the road. You know, get out of your vehicle, stretch a little bit before you do that. But honestly, the only remedy is sleep. I can't overstate that. I know that. Yeah, when you were talking about stopping for coffee or a Coke or whatever, I, I mean, I have to be honest with you. I've done, yeah, I've, I've done all of those things, uh, recognized it, but I, I realize now it's just not, it's just not worth it. Um, Tim, let me ask you a question. Um, do any states currently have laws on the books that directly address drowsy driving? Uh, there is. There's actually two states, and, and Pam gets excited about this because New Jersey is one of them. Uh, Arkansas, yeah, Arkansas is the other. I think uh, it's 2016 or 2013. Somewhere in there is when those states enacted their drowsy driving laws. Actually, ours much earlier. Was it? Much okay. Earlier. Yeah, much earlier. Yeah. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guess, Pam. You had something to do with that, didn't you? <laughs> Um, not, not as much as you think, <laughs> but, but I, was right. work, I was working on the issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind that you would have been, um, those two States actually have laws on, on the books and they are based on the 24 hour model that you're impaired. And, and that's the idea. And right. it doesn't say 24 hours of driving it's 24 hours without sleep. Right. There's a lot of States that recognize drowsy driving, a few more States that have tried to enact laws that just have failed. Uh, and I don't know what the, the reason why they, ha- they haven't failed. Oh, I think we lost him for a second I think there. Rose, yeah. So he'll he'll come back. I'm sure <laughs> we've seen this happen before. I I'm pretty sure he did not fall asleep there. on us. Think, are you there, Tim? Tim, you I am here. <laughs> you froze on us for a second, sir. Second. Actually, you just did it again. So, listen, Pam. Uh, since he's since his connection doesn't look like it's all that good just yet. Yeah. He'll come back on. But anything else that you want to add? I think we, we've covered most of it. Um, I do know that you've got a personal story from this. Do you want to touch on that? I do. I like to say to folks that I'm a reformed drowsy driver. I was sharing this with Tim yesterday. And uh, and this happened to me. I mean, we've all you know been guilty of being tired and getting behind the wheel. But for me, a real wake-up call uh, was I was highway safety director for the state of New Jersey. And I had been up very early that morning to drive to West Point, New York. I lived in northern New Jersey to see my son, pick up my son from hockey camp, watch him play hockey. And it was like we got up at five in the morning and we did that. And then later in the day, I drove all the way to the bottom of the state. And we're not that big a state, but it was a good two and a half hours to the Atlantic County area to work a DUI checkpoint. And so I worked that with uh, the task force down there, a great group of folks. And one o'clock in the morning, we were wrapping up the last stop. And finally, about two o'clock, I got on the road and, and a couple of the officers said, hey, you're not going to drive home. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. No worries. I'll be great. And I uh, got, uh, got in the car and I was driving up the Garden State Parkway, which is a very pretty much straight stretch of road. And got about an hour and a half into the trip and realized there was no way. I could keep doing this. And so I was fortunate. I, I got stopped. I stopped in the rest area, locked the doors, put my seat back. It took about a 
45 minute nap and then I got woke up and went back in, went to the rest area and, you know, and kind of got myself back going and then got back on the road. But there was no way I could have gotten home. I'm, I'm really lucky. You know, I, re I realized that that was crazy. So um, I think we all have stories like this. And, and fortunately, I can, I'm here to tell you my story. But, you know, yeah. there, but there are many people who have um, unfortunately not made it because they attempted to push through. So, my, you know, my message to parents and teens is, is hey, look, you know, this is, a, this is a really big issue. Teens are more likely than any age group and young adults to, to drive drowsy, to be involved in crashes involving drowsy driving. The risk is already high because, as we always say, because of inexperience and brain development. So, you know, do what you need to do. Get that sleep. I can't overstate it. And I found it really interesting when I was talking, I was talking to a group of student athletes one day and they're like, oh, you know, sleep, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll get it, whatever. And I'm like, hey, there's research that shows that you perform better on the athletic field when you have sleep. And you go out and you talk to the athletes, you know, all the professional athletes will tell you they have sleep coaches now to help them get the amount of sleep they need to do what they need to do. So whatever your thing is, whether it's sports or music or theater or the sciences, whatever, your brain, your body will function better on optimal sleep and you'll be a lot safer out there on the road. So you know, get, get your sleep, get your Z's. I can't overstate that. Terrific information, Pam. Tim, anything uh, you want to add in closing? I'll let you have the last word, as it were. <laughs> Oh, that's such a huge mistake. So <laughs> um, I, I think just we we all need to take a greater responsibility in in helping to protect each other and look out for each other. When we recognize those signs in our children, when we know ourselves or we see friends, Pam's coworker said, hey, maybe you should stop. And that's the time we have to listen to these things. We don't want to be the ones that looked at somebody and thought, and then didn't do anything and, and then have it end in tragedy. Uh, I know police supervising, one of the big things we did on, on midnights was to make sure uh, to look at what the guys were doing during, guys and girls were doing during the day. Were they in court? Did they did they miss sleep during the day? Do we need to pair them up with somebody? And then that's the type of responsibility we have to take just everyday lives. Help you protect each other, look out for each other, talk about the warning signs that we see in others. Let, know, let people know it's okay to say, you know what, I can't do it today or I, I, I need some help. You know, as always, I really enjoy talking with both of you. Uh, information was terrific as always. And uh, I hope to see you back on the show again soon. Take care and have a good rest of the week, okay? Thanks and happy sleeping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. We'll take a nap. Right. I will. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. So that was Pam Shadle Fisher and Tim Burroughs, again, both with the GHSA, Governor's Highway Safety Association, talking to us about drowsy driving. Do you want more information? Of course you do. Uh, check us out at drivingskillsforlife.com, and that'll give you an idea of what we're about. The Driving Skills for Life program is put on by the Ford Motor Company Fund, which is Ford's philanthropic arm. And on that website, you will see many resources that will give you information, not just on drowsy driving, but on how to be a safer driver in particular. One of those resources that will really, really help you out is if you head on over to the Academy on that website, uh, the Academy has a series of videos with helpful hints and tips to help you to become a better driver. Look, if you're a teen driver, 
We are not talking down to you, okay? This is just about trying to help you to be a little bit safer. Chances are in these times you're at home anyway. Jump on the computer, go to that website, at least check it out. You might be surprised at how much you learn. This is Mike Speck with The Daily Drive signing off. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you the next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Daily Drive, presented by Ford Driving Skills for Life. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Ford Driving Skills for Life and on Instagram and Twitter at Ford DSFL. You can find a video version of this podcast on our Facebook page or on YouTube. We hope you'll tune in again to this podcast for news you can use to keep teen drivers safe on the road.